Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hawkcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by GoIowaAwesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Joined by publishers Ross Binder, at RossWB on Twitter, and Adam Jacoby, at Adam underscore Jacoby on Twitter. Before we get started, make sure you subscribe, follow, leave that rate and review wherever you are listening. And if you want to drop us a question, you can do that on our premium board at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe if you're not a subscriber yet. Of course, you can leave a five-star rate and review on Apple Podcasts and leave a question there for us as well. So big stuff happening yesterday at the Open Practice for Kids Day. And uh, yeah, number one thing we got to talk about is that Cade McNamara injury. Now, I know Adam and and Ross, you guys weren't there, Um, but... (laughs) I saw it, and I'll tell you about it a little bit here, what what I observed. But we'll start with you, Adam. Just initial – tell me about that initial moment when, when you when you saw the stuff on Twitter, how you reacted. Because I'm sure it's similar to a lot of the fan base of being like, oh, my God. Yeah, you know, I mean, first of all, the, the initial reaction has to be, oh, no, right? Um, it's because it's, it's about as – once you see somebody go down – without contact, all the worst scenarios are, are basically on the table until you know more, right? Um, and especially when it was uh, his leg that he had been rehabbing uh, and, you know, he, he had been saying just 24 hours prior, you know, I, I feel really close to 100% and I believed him. Uh, so watching the clip, especially um, like seeing him go down on the turf and then like, just that little half second where he's just completely um, prone or supine or whatever it is when you're face down Um, like that, that had me really, really worried for him because, you know, sometimes you just know when it's, it's as bad as people are are worried about. Uh, But the fact that he got up, the fact that he walked himself off the field and the fact that he, you know, came back without any ice on, you know, (laughs) everyone can breathe easier at that point. Um, but yeah, of course, like, especially like I said on the premium board, when it's non-contact, it might be nothing. It might be disaster. That that lane that it could be was wide, wide, wide. So like everybody else, you just sort of have to hold your breath until you hear more. Ross, how about you? Yeah, pretty much the same. Uh, you know, you just you're worried when it's a non-contact injury like that. You just don't know what to expect. Uh, you know, I felt bad for Cade in particular, just because obviously he's coming off an injury. He's missed a lot of time, done a lot of rehab. And, you know, you would just hate for, for him to not be able to play uh, after putting in all that work to, to come back from injury and, you know, to just have some sort of, you know, ridiculous non-contact injury on a, you know, practice halfway through fall camp. Like it just seems really unfair. And, and hopefully that's, you know, that's not the case that, you know, the news we got later on that, you know, he came back, wasn't iced up or on a brace or anything like that's, those all seem like good signs. So that'd be uh, very good for Cade. And, you know, obviously uh, also very good for the Iowa offense. So I'll tell you what I started the day in the, so they, they let media on the opposite side of the field from where the press box is. Cause all the fans are right under the press box. Sure. And I was over there for the first half of it, probably probably third of, of the events of the day. 
And then I moved over to the press box and because I was already burnt from the day prior of media day and I didn't need to uh, give myself skin cancer within that short amount of time. So I moved up to the press box and sitting there, I, I saw Cade take off and we'll talk a little bit more about the defensive line, offensive line in a little bit. I had some thoughts there on, on that play, but what I remember is seeing Cade fall and thinking, Oh, that, that, that didn't look great. Yeah. And this was yeah, prior to anybody. Yeah. Any, yeah. This is prior to anybody saying anything, uh, him going off the field and just, he went down a little awkwardly. And my first thought was, Oh, well, yeah. okay. He's getting up. He's walking off. Deacon's coming in. Maybe he's just taking a play off. Yeah. And when Deacon was, I, I had told myself I was going to go to the bathroom when Deacon came in because it's a little less important than the first string. So I went, I went to the restroom and I came back and people are all, all over Twitter saying that he had gone to the locker room. So I didn't see him walk off to the locker room, but that 30, that was probably the longest 30 minutes of a few folks lives that were in Kinnick stadium. Right. Absolutely. There. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I, I'd be lying if I, there wasn't a oh my god moment from me as well. Like, are we talking about Deacon Hill as the starter come week one? Are we talking about Deacon Hill being the starter through the whole season? And so that is not that's not ideal <laughs> to say the least. I think Deacon right. has a cannon of an arm. He's not Cade McNamara. I think we can yeah. all agree there. Yeah. So and it, it's it's sort of not what they brought him in for for this season at the very right. End. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, you know, I, I didn't see him when he initially came back out onto the field either. There were a few guys on the other side of the field that were reporting because they could see him. And once I got my eyes on him, for me, that was a, a that, that took away a lot of that internal tension because he was just walking around like he would be on the sideline anyway. Granted, he didn't have pads on. Um, yeah. But with that said, he appeared to be walking around and joking with guys and and everything seemed okay. We ended up going down to the field afterwards to talk with Kirk after the game. And before we got to talk to Kirk, he was talking with Kate a little bit. And that is where I started to get a little bit of mixed signals. When I saw Cade walking off, he didn't look relaxed. Mm -hmm. I'll say that he mm -hmm. had a look of stress on his face. Now, maybe I read into that too much. Maybe I, I misread what was on his face, but we ended up getting that message from Kirk saying that he wasn't alarmed and there was a little bit of a collective sigh of relief. And so, you know, take that maybe with a grain of salt, just based on the report that we got from Kirk, but also take the report from Kirk with a grain of salt because you never mm -hmm. want to give any sort of information, um, you know, with a whole lot of depth to it right away, because you just don't know the evaluation hasn't been fully made by the staff yet. He, right. You have to imagine he's maybe not going to get an MRI, but there's going to be some more significant uh, evaluation of him over this week. And so with that said, I think worst case scenario, what we're talking about is he misses a couple games. That's worst case scenario. I, I think for the most part, what I would imagine just based on what I do know about the health of the human body, I don't want to speculate about what the injury is, but given that it is a soft tissue thing, that he will get the ice, he'll get the work in with the trainers, and again, worst case scenario, he misses a couple games. It's not the end of the world, but 
you almost want to wrap him with bubble wrap over the next couple of weeks too, because right. the dude doesn't want to stop. He's a worker. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Kirk said basically to that effect that he's about to wear out the trainers for the next week or two. And and having talked to Cade, I absolutely see where that uh, where that's coming from. And you also really get to have an appreciation for why the Iowa staff took it so slowly and methodically with his recovery in the first place. Now, you know, the downside of that, if you want to call it a downside, but, and, and it's, let, let's, let's call it this, the necessary consequence of being that careful with it is he's testing it out in live action in the middle of August and, you know, without a whole lot of room to, uh, you know, get used to it before the season starts. And, and, you know, ultimately that's probably going to serve him for the best, the, the timeline that they've had him on. Uh, but, you know, anytime you talk to somebody who has had one of those very serious injuries, uh, something that requires, uh, you know, surgical restructuring of a joint of a knee, um, not only are they talking about getting that functionality of the joint back, but some of it's like a mental thing to get over. Some of it is learning, you know, is this sensation, like, is this pain, is it because it hurts or is it because it's injured, right? Is it soreness or is it inflammation? Is it a setback or is it, you know, getting popped the wrong way? And that is just sort of something that you have to experience there on the field or, you know, there in the rank court, whatever. Um, and, and so, it's one thing to be cleared. It's another like, and to be on the field and starting and, and doing all of that, but to actually be pushing your body at that high competitive level for the first time since surgery or, or, or what have you, um, there is a little bit of trepidation. There is a little bit, you know, I, I say like scary moments and and i don't mean it like scared in a five-year-old way in a, in a childish way but like sometimes that unfamiliarity can be really scary because you don't know if that means that you've re-injured it or not so we'll keep fingers crossed that it's not re-injured uh but he would not be the first person uh you know the first athlete the first or even like the toughest athlete to have a situation happen like that and be like whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. am i okay Am I okay? And then, you know, especially at a kid's day scrimmage three weeks before the season, if I'm a trainer, I'm like, get them off. Like we're, we're not, yep. <laughs> we're taking 0, 0.0 chances on this. And, and, you know, I, I think that's going to end up being the prudent way to handle this too. So, you know, we're just going to have to see what the reports are this week. Once all those tests are done, uh, I will, you know, at, at some point we just have to take Kirk Ferentz at face value, if he's standing in front of us in the moment and saying he's not alarmed, then, you know, I think fans just have to not be alarmed, uh, you know, on some level, unless you know something that Kirk Ferentz doesn't, which I doubt, um, you know, you, you sort of have to just trust him at this until we learn more. You know, I imagine that, I imagine that Cade wants to be back out there as soon as possible. And yeah. in part, I mean, I don't even imagine, I know that uh, just based on, on the, the little bit that we've, that we've been able to interact with him. But anyway, the 
thing that I think about here is the reaction of some of the folks in the fan base, which again, fans, I understand. It's very easy to get emotional, especially at this point in the season when you see Kate as your potential savior, especially of the offense. But I saw some folks reacting and saying, well, he shouldn't have been playing anyway. If you're that, like, if, no, come on. Like, they weren't going to hit him. It was a non-contact. They didn't, nobody expected this to happen. You want to be able to give him the ability to go full go, or at least, you know, 75% of go, full go, in an event like this where it's controlled. You don't want the first hit he takes to be at the hands of Utah State's stud linebacker who's going to try to knock his block off. I don't even know if Utah State has a stud linebacker, but you know what I'm saying. You get the gist. So this is not a scenario where precaution – because then you start to wade into territory if if you decide to hold him out there, to hold him out from from playing. Then you wade into territory. I'm going to be the first person ever to compare the New Orleans Pelicans to the uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes, but I'm going to do it here because of my previous expertise. Then you start to wade into Zion Williamson territory where he's declared healthy, where he's he's able to go. Literally, doctors have said, yeah, he can see the floor, but I don't feel like Zion yet. Yeah, you really want to get, I, you know, I don't see the mentality being similar for Cade and, and Zion in that respect, but that's a potential area you can wade yourself into. And that's a hell of a lot more frustrating than, oh, maybe he got a little bit of he got a little dinged up. In, in this practice. So no, no, no. This is not a scenario where you hold Cade McNamara out from competing and drive him crazy on this day and make him start to question your judgment as coaches and his staff. Yeah. You let him go and a fluke happens. Fine. You're going to be okay. Yeah, they did hold out. And what did you guys think about holding out some of the other guys that had some soft tissue things? Cooper, Dejon, um, Joe Labus has been out for a while. Uh who else? Yeah, obviously Jacob Bostic hasn't uh, he hasn't seen the field in quite a while. But um, I mean, I don't think those things relate to what Kate was going through. You know, the the four month long process of getting back on the field. It's not the same. Am I right? Right, Russ. What do you think? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's quite the same thing. I think you know it, it makes sense with them. Like this is just a you know the ninth practice of the of the fall. You know session so if someone's banged up just you know let them sit out let them rest up there's no point in you know pushing guys hard in the middle of august like this is a long enough season as it is like let you know be prudent yeah so the way i look at it is this it was a non-contact injury you know it, it was him taking off scrambling leg planted funny what like any number of things happen. Did you want that to happen during the preseason or during week one? Right. Because if this happens against Utah state and and we just have to assume that if he was going to take off and he was going to plant that that was going to happen, right? Like if, if, if he gets held out of this practice, it's not like he makes it to week one and you know, it's, you know, he's made a steal and, whatever Wolverine is made of Um, like the injury risk would have still been there, would have absolutely still been there. So I would rather he, you know, have whatever this is three weeks before the season instead of one day into the season, Uh, because going into Iowa state week, 
and with your starting quarterback on a fresh injury is, you know, it can be awfully daunting and, and say what you will about the Cyclones, but you know, they do know a thing or two about playing some defense. So um, I, I, you know, I, between that and between the fact that, you know, these guys are going live in practice too, you know, <laughs> this could have happened on a Tuesday. The, and the fact that it happened on Kinnick, you know, in front of people on a, on a Saturday instead of a Tuesday or Wednesday or, or what have you, you know, it's, it's dumb luck. It's bad luck. But, but to say that Cage shouldn't have been out there, um, you know, that, that seems like sort of one of those like hindsight, like grasping for like, well, well then I, I didn't want that to happen. So it shouldn't have, well, but this is part of the recovery process from an injury like that. And it's, it's not going to be linear. It's not going to be great. Some folks' recoveries are perfect. Clearly, like this one isn't, but that doesn't make it a disaster. It doesn't make it bad. And, and honestly, it doesn't make me worried for him for week one at this point. So, you know, it's what it is. And those same folks that were saying that he shouldn't have been out there would have been the same folks saying, well, why isn't he playing? Right. Is he still hurt? What's going worried? on? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. And no, it's, I mean, it's just <laughs> hindsight stuff. Right. And, and that can be ignored. Hindsight is indeed 2020. Now, a couple other things to take away from Kids Day. I have an article about it on uh, on iowa.rivals.com. We'll have the link in the description here on Hotcast. But a couple other things that I took away, uh, and, and some of them not even to do with what are in the article. And the first thing I'll say is Brian Allen Jr. lived in the backfield yesterday, and to so, or I guess on Saturday, and, and so did a decent amount of other defensive lineman now is that a testament to how good the defensive line is is it a testament to the offensive line and maybe not so much of a growth in this last year or the fact that they have you know they don't have Dejan Parker they're still trying to figure out where guys are at is it something we read too much into have you either of you guys heard of Brian Allen prior to Saturday <laughs> well yes but you know, <laughs> I, 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 I understand I, <laughs> I understand why most people have it right right um, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. You know, and we were warned, especially by Kirk and by most of the position coaches on Friday, you know, this team is not game ready yet. They and they never made any claims otherwise. You know, the players are saying that they're excited to get out there. They they want the season to start. But when pretty much every coach says, you know, we've got a long way to go before week one uh, and one, it's sort of a, you know, canned answer for Kirk Ferentz at this point. We'll, we'll be honest about that. But two, like it's, it's canned for a reason because I, I think he firmly believes it. And the improvement process that he wants to see is not going to be done by August 12th. That's, that's not the way he runs camp. It's not his expectations. And, you know, it's, it sort of does a disservice to the guys on the field to be like, all right, you got eight, nine practices and then we want you game ready like that's that's especially when you're trying to build rapport with a brand new offense basically like a bunch of skill position players most of whom have not played with each other especially in a competitive like in a game itself in that environment um to have not you know been able to create years and years of rapport with each other uh, I can't even imagine what day it was 
on the calendar that Cade McNamara and Caleb Brown even like met each other. You know, like, like let's not even get into the like timing and, and all, you know, like the, the two hours a day that Peyton Manning and, and Marvin Harrison senior would like spend on routes that those two, I don't think even like knew each other. So this is all part of like the growing and learning process. And the defense has less of that to do than the offense. And also it's just sort of easier to run a defense correctly this quickly into the season or into the um, fall camp than it is an offense. There's, there's just more learning to do on the offensive side, the timing side, like you're, the offense is trying to beat the defense. The defense is just trying to get a guy down or out of bounds or get the ball or whatever. Like I, I don't, I'm not calling defense easy. Trust me, <laughs> but it is, I, I think when a team is not ready to play, the defense is going to look better than the offense. Yeah. Russ, yeah. what do you think? I mean, that's the cliche, right? The defense is always ahead of the offense and in fall camp and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm sure that's part of what, what Elliot's observing uh, at the practice the other day. Um, hopefully part of it's also there is legitimately, you know, really good depth uh, to that D line too. Like, you know, if Brian Allen, you know, is something like he's the ninth or 10th guy on that defensive line, you know, maybe. And, you know, if he's looking that good, like there's, means there's a lot of, you know, really talented guys on that line that Iowa can, can cycle through and, and throw at other offenses, um, which is a huge positive. Yeah. Uh, Elliot, what did, did you happen to notice, like, was Allen going up against the, uh, the ones on the offensive line or? Twos. Yeah. Twos. Yeah. He looked really good against the twos, but it was yeah. the twos. I was just going to mention that as well. And so maybe by way of doing really well against the twos, he does get some reps with the ones as the season progresses. And, you yeah. know, it, it's it's the thing to look at in, in terms of positivity if somebody goes down. And I, we talked about it before on this podcast, is football. Somebody's going to get hurt. So having that sort of depth, even without Noah Shannon available, that's a positive thing. Which, by the way, if you didn't see on Twitter, Noah Shannon was there. He was on the sideline during the practice. So we still haven't heard a single freaking thing about him and his availability or or what went down with with gambling wise. Who knows what's going to happen? But um, yeah, I, I thought that was more of an indictment of the offensive line still trying to figure things out. Though I do think the off the defensive line is the strength of the entire team. This, yeah. this season, obviously tight end is going to be up there as well, but the D line is just ridiculously deep. Um, we saw one thing that I was looking for going into the day too, was who was going to play that one tech spot. And Aaron Graves rotated between the one tech and the three tech and YA black did as well. Logan Lee pretty much stuck at that three tech spot. But when you've got that type of strength and length, that uh, Aaron Graves and YA Black possess, you can rotate them between those one and three tech spots, um, which is which is a positive. It's 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 a heck of an asset to have, and you know you you talked to um, Coach Bell on Friday too. Um, he told me that they were happy going. Uh, I think he said eight or nine deep on that defensive line rotation. And boy, I'm telling you, you when we've seen Iowa go that deep on the D line. And, and that's been more years than not over the last decade or so. Uh, those are scary, scary lines. And the, you know, the delineation between a starter and a backup at that point is, I don't want to call it meaningless, 
but it's awfully close. I, and, and, you know, I, I would have told you that even before the Lucas Van Ness story happened. Um, but he's sort of the perfect example of like, no starts, who cares? Like, are you on the field? Are you getting rotation? Like, are, are you getting snaps? And are you productive while you're on the field? And he did a phenomenal job of that. But, you know, you can say the same thing about Wagner. You can say the same thing about Shannon. Um, I think we're going to see that out of black when he's healthy. Deontay Craig, my goodness. Like, that guy would be a star at, I would say, 90% of D1 football programs. I mean, like, a front-of-the-magazine star. And him being part of this rotation, I think, is ultimately beneficial for him. But it means that while he's part of a deep rotation, those really headline grabbing stats are just going to be like smaller than usual. So, you know, I, I'm not going to predict a 15 sack year for him, not because I don't think he's not capable or not because I don't think he's capable. I just don't think he's going to get the opportunities and the snaps. And it's not going to be a um, like it, that's going to be fine for the Iowa defense. If he's, you know, just on in, what do you want to say, 60, 70% of passing downs instead of 100 of them. Like, I think that is, that's what Coach Bell wants. That's what Iowa fans should want, um, even though it's not going to, you know, you're not going to get that sexiness of a, you know, a giant sack toll or something like that, especially with Joe Evans also on the line. Like, it's, it's an embarrassment of riches. It's a great problem to have, but you know, there, there are going to be some sort of residual trickle downs that, um, you know, might not be as satisfying uh, as, as some guy just wrecking shop all by himself. A couple other things I want to hit about yesterday. And again, you can read more in depth on iowa.rivals.com of my takeaways from the day, but Deshaun Lee, two picks, the, in de- the defense is an in- entirety, six picks. A lot of those were tipped, you know, punched out of uh, receivers' arms. I mean, Luke Lachey had one in his bread basket, turned, and then it somehow ended up in TJ Hall's hands. One got ripped out of the hands of Seth Anderson. Um, a couple were, were tipped at the line. Jamari Harris returned one for what would have been six. Deshaun Lee did as well of the, of the two intercept- interceptions he had. Another article that I wrote recently was about TJ Hall and Deshaun Lee and their confidence going into this season. They both came away with at least one pick. Three of the six were for them, were from them. And TJ Hall got a ton of reps. I mean, they both got a ton of reps, but TJ Hall did with the ones because Cooper Cooper DeGene wasn't out there. So you have to think that – and TJ looked pretty good, if I do yeah. say so myself. Jamari Harris is a freaking stud, by the way. I went – we included him as a potential underrated guy, and Ross, you wrote about him in that article. I mean, he is – the difference now between him in the spring and coming back off that injury is what Kirk said. It's that he's not trying to make every play. He's just playing his position now. And when he does pl- just plays his position, he's damn good. He's one of the top corners in the Big Ten. I would and say so. so. I, I really expect a big season from him, especially because our offenses are going to be wanting to go away from Cooper DeGene. So that's going to be really, really exciting uh ross what do you think of the defensive backs right now i mean you have to be pretty excited i I think you know you mentioned the the d-line being the strongest unit on the team and i'm not going to disagree with that but the d-backs i think have to be up there in the top three i mean there's 
uh, especially if they're they're developing depth at the cornerbacks, you know, with Lee and Hall behind DeGene and and uh, Harris, like that's just makes things even better. And then that's not even talking about the safeties with uh, Wangpa and Castro and Schulte. Um, you know, that's just so many really talented guys back there, just great hands, great instincts. Uh, they're all really solid tacklers. Um, you could probably throw Cohen Entringer in there too, yeah. at least in terms of potential going yeah. forward. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just uh, an embarrassment of riches almost, but I mean, that's kind of what we've come to expect under Phil Parker. And I don't, I don't think we take it for granted necessarily, but uh, you know, it's a great thing to have for sure. Adam, what do you, what do you think? Uh, so I actually talked to Phil Parker. Thanks for mentioning him. I, I talked to him about Jamari Harris. And one thing that coach Parker told me was it was, you know, you, you don't want to see a guy out for that long ever. Uh, but one thing that can be really beneficial and he's seen it numerous times is being able to like, coming from the field and like being able to take a step back and observe like other people doing your job. Like that can be a way to really broaden your understanding of the position as a whole. And he credited Harris for taking that opportunity while he was injured to like really understand that cornerback position. Uh, and, and I think that we've seen it, like you said, like, He's not trying to make every play. He's just playing his position. And that is a mental leap that Coach Parker is crediting to that time away from the field. Not everybody makes that absence, those injury absences, productive. There's a lot of guys that just do not recover their career from that. And, you know, some of it might be physical. Some of it might be mental. Some of it is just like you know, once you get yanked out of it, how do you get back in? And, and not everybody does that, but they are, I mean, the coaches are thrilled with where Harris is right now. They did that. That's my word, not theirs, but um, you know, as much as he can get a sense of thrill out of Phil Parker, <laughs> which is not much. And I tried um, that the, you know, he, he also said that there's, you know, bat, or, or um, depth at the cornerback position that they're also really excited about too. So like, uh, you know, he, he, he knows as much as anybody that it's not just like, Oh, we've got two cornerbacks on the field that, you know, that we really trust. We're golden. Like that's not what football is anymore. That's, that's not the way passing offenses operate. Um, but they are, they're very happy with where Harris is, uh, how he's come back, uh, Parker demurred on saying that he was back to the 100% that he had set back in 2021 when Ross, as you mentioned in your article, he was tied for second on the team in interceptions. Let's not forget that. Like he was productive. And I think that they're expecting that level of productivity out of him again. And so you put that on the other side of the field with Cooper DeGene, with uh, Xavier Wampa, with Quinn Schulte, who Let's not get ahead. Like I, I'm going to mention him later today, and also with uh, Sebastian Castro, who was my pick as one of the underrated members of the secondary because I think he's going to go bonkers. And then once that depth starts building under them, which I think that we're seeing and what the coaches are telling us, like 
that secondary is going to be mean this year. <laughs> I, I think they're going to be legit mean. I don't think we want to understate that depth either, because at the end of last season, they didn't have that depth. You know, Correct. they and we saw what uh, happened. Yeah, I mean, Cooper got hurt in the Nebraska game, and uh, there were some issues with the guy. I think Hall was one of the guys that came in, yeah. uh, and, and there were some issues. And you know, he's made a lot of progress since then. He's playing a lot better. Um, and you know, just being able to have that depth, so you know, you don't want anybody to get hurt, but inevitably, someone's going to probably miss a few plays. So. Having having guys that are ready to step in and and play at a high level is going to be huge. Yeah. For those of you having those questions about TJ Hall, read the article from me from Media Day and my conversation having with him. His confidence has apparently not wavered, and it looked like that on the field this weekend. So I, I'm I'm a believer, and I he said this is the thing that really took my belief to the next level. And again, read the article for the entirety of the context. But he said after the game, he met with the coaching staff and said, I take full responsibility. I just need you to trust me. And to me, That's I believe he, yep. at 19, 18, 19 to do that is pretty telling. Yeah. I, I I think that that is what took my belief to the next level. Deshaun Lee, his play on on Saturday uh, took took mine. I, I, I think Deshaun really understands how to play corner in this system as a redshirt freshman and he's a little undersized for my liking, but I, he clearly knows what he's doing. So at least, at least to a degree at this point. So we'll see whether that comes to fruition on the field sooner rather than later. But now let's talk a little bit about media. Oh, well, I guess my next point from kids day will help us transition into to media day, but I thought Dayton Howard looked pretty solid. He and Jerry at Bowie did in with the twos. Yeah. Both true freshmen coming in. I don't necessarily think that either of them will see a ton of snaps this fall. If either of them do, it will be Dayton Howard just because his body's a little bit more college football ready, whereas Bowie's a little bit leaner. He's 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 thinner. He's he's slight of frame, and so Bowie has to spend some time in the weight room, you know, stuffing his face with a little bit of that free food that you get as a scholarship as a as a D one athlete. And so, oh yeah, right, and and so. I, I see both of them being productive sooner rather than later. But one thing that I took away from media day as well to tie it together is that I was talking with Jacob Bostic a little bit about it, about what his role would be if he sees the field. And I said something about him being one of the taller receivers and, you know, this offense is lacking. If they're, if the receiving group is lacking anything, they're lacking that go up and get it receiver just by, by by height, you know, Deontay Vines made some awesome plays this weekend when he went up and got it over Jamari Harris. I don't, I, if you guys saw a video of that, I, I, I didn't see it, but I saw it live and that was pretty impressive. Does that quantify him as a go up and get a guy? Not necessarily. So it's like what Reese Vanderzee is at central lion, the, the 2024 commit coming in, in, in that class, that's a guy that they need in the offense the closest thing that they have to that on the roster right now is Dayton Howard. What I've seen from him is really fun. I think he was very underrated as a recruit. He's, he's big. He can leap out of the, out of the stadium. He's long. And I see him, if there is a go up and get a guy on this roster, it's Dayton Howard. So my, to tie those two together, he was really impressive to me at kids, at kids day. 
and Jacob Bostic said, I used to be the tallest guy. And then this guy came in and, and pointed to Dayton. So um, we'll transition over to media day. That was my first takeaway. Kind of <laughs> Adam, you, you brought a few to the table as well tonight. Yeah. So I, I think one of the first things um, that, that really jumped out at me was the level of uh, confidence that this team has in its linebacking core Um Seth Wallace, Phil Parker, uh, the linebackers themselves. Um, you know, you look on paper, and, and I wrote about this on Go Iowa Awesome. Uh, you look on paper, Jack Campbell's gone. And, and that guy, you know, Buckus Award winning, uh, he, he's going to be a stud in the NFL. I, I, I feel confident in predicting that. Uh, Seth Benson was one of the most uh, productive linebackers, you know, especially for a guy who, uh, you know, maybe six feet tall. Um, and then Justin Jacobs, who was a super highly re- regarded recruit, didn't really put it all together, but came awfully close at Iowa. Definitely somebody that they wanted to, you know, that that they would have been able to use um, this season. Transfers out to Oregon, you know, more power to him. You, 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 know, you know, you talk about situations where people spend time away from the field and, you know, sort of have a different approach to what they have in front of them. You see a whole lot of guys transfer after missing a season or the bulk of a season. You saw two of them at Iowa alone. Uh, and you look around college football and it is not a foreign concept for really any program. So, um, you know, on paper, that's a big loss. You know, on paper, you look at a top three of um uh, Nick Jackson coming in from uh, Virginia, uh, Jay Higgins at the Mike, Kyler Fisher at uh, presumably, you know, the um, Leo at the Leo. Thank you. I was, I was about to call it the, the Leonard. And I know that's not right. <laughs> Maybe Leo short for Leonard. Anyway, like, and only one of those guys was starting last year and that was, Nick Jackson at, at UVA, by the way, really enjoyed talking to Nick, uh, really all three of those guys, um, ton of confidence in what Jay Higgins brings to the table. Uh, he is, uh, really excited about this opportunity talking to him. He's so like people who've been around the program, people who've been paying attention to the program for years know that this is not a surprise, but, Super engaging guy. Glad he got to be at Media Day, uh, at the Big Ten Media Day. Glad he was one of the three representatives of the program. Um, but really, all three of those guys, all seniors, by the way, um, handle themselves tremendously well and to a greater degree than you would expect out of, say, like media training, because I'm sure these guys get that sort of training. Um you know, it's it's one thing to say, oh yeah, I'm I'm really uh, optimistic. Uh, I really like the head coach. You know, like anyone can be coached to say that. But when you're talking about the level of camaraderie that you have with that guy, those guys in the room with you, um, you know, talking about your position coach in the revered terms that both Higgins and um, Jackson do, and you know, Jackson's been practicing for like a week. Um, I didn't ask Kyler uh, about it, but I'm <laughs> I'm very confident that that he holds 
Coach Wallace in the highest regard as well. Very, very confident about that. And you, you talk about a guy who's um, really honored to be in that position. Fish is absolutely that dude. And and um, not only that, but uh, Coach Wallace is also really happy about uh, Carson. How do you pronounce his last name? Share? Gerar. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Jaden Harrell uh, out of Urbandale was somebody that Coach Wallace also sort of brought up. And, and so the fact that he is not only happy with his top six in terms of linebackers, but like he said, you're dressing nine to 11 uh, for week one. And those other guys, the ones you know behind them, below them, whatever you want to call it, you know, those are your core special teams guys. Like that's where you start learning how to be a dominant linebacker is making those plays on special teams. And that's where you need that leadership at the top of the depth chart. And what do you know, you know, you've got three seniors, two of whom have been in this program for quite a while. And the other one who is as productive as you could possibly ask for and who character wise is exactly what this program was looking for. Um, that's going to work out so well for this unit. And so, you know, you should look at all the guys that left that position group and say, Iowa's linebackers are going to take a step back. That is a perfectly normal, rational reaction to those departures. I think that drop-off, if there is one, is going to be less than people think, and that is bad news for the rest of the Big Ten. Yeah. Ross, what do you think about linebacker? Do you mind if I interject here? I'm going to ask yeah, you a question, Adam. Yeah. Did did Coach Wallace uh, specifically say? I mean, obviously, I observed that Higgins was the mic and Jackson was the will on yeah. Saturday. Did Wallace say specifically that that was the case, or did you take that from Jay or or from uh, from Nick? So Nick said, like one Coach Wallace said that these guys learn each of the positions. So he also said that he has no problem flip-flopping um, Nick and Jay at those two interior linebacker positions, which is huge, right? Having two guys that you can trust as the mic for as important a position as that is in this defense, I mean, it's not a small thing to be saying that before week one, that you can mix and match those guys, because it also means you can rest them, you can rotate. You can bring in younger guys like Ben Keeter. Well, yeah, that you can trust a transfer to play the mic yes. in his first year in the Iowa yes. defense. That's, That's pretty telling of Nick Jackson. Yeah, I talked to him about that uh, adjustment process from UVA to Iowa, and it is an adjustment. Uh, like, not only is the terminology different, but the roles are different, right? So it's one thing to know that, like, something that they call Apple at UVA, they call Pear at Iowa. Okay, like that, that'll probably take a week or two. What the Mike has to do at UVA is not exactly what he has to do at Iowa. And so there is a little bit of learning there too. And since Jay has that edge, if they were going to start the season right now, one, the Big Ten would be upset. Two, it would be Jay at the Mike. Um, and, and everyone would be perfectly fine with that. But if Jay gets hit by a cam bus tomorrow, one, everyone would be upset again, again. But two, they'll put Nick in there and there might be a few growing pains, but that's 
okay against Utah State. So I think for week one, especially, we will see a lot of positional rotation. So not only like guys coming in and out, but guys moving around the field and coaches being able to watch them and observe them live, you know, against unfriendly competition and seeing how well they handle that, you know, because Utah State is not Cornell College. Shout out to the Rams. You know, that they're a D1 program, and they were good not that long ago. They were really good. So there, there will be a challenge, and Iowa's only favored by, what, 23 points? Like, it's not – and that number's going to go down if Cade's not behind – the uh, center if he's not under Logan Jones. So it, it will be a competitive game for some amount of time. Uh, you know, Iowa fans hopefully want it to be uncompetitive by halftime. I'm not sure that's going to be the case, um, but it will be a great opportunity for the coaches to see how these guys handle those roles once you're live. Uh, I mean, I just think, I think we're going to look back and say that that transfer portal acquisition of Nick Jackson was uh, very underrated, but very pivotal uh, off season move. I mean, getting someone with that much experience and that much ability uh, through the portal is really just kind of ridiculous. Like, I mean, he was really, really good at, at UVA and uh, for him to come to Iowa, I mean, yes, be some sort of a learning curve there, but uh, you know, you can't get much more ready to play and, you know, not quite plug and play, but pretty close, pretty close uh, yeah. with that ability. And so, it, you know, we're looking at this a lot differently if, if he's not in the linebacker picture and we're looking at, you know, Higgins and Fisher and, you know, another guy that hasn't played that much. Uh, and, you know, now linebacker is probably much higher on the list of concerning positions uh, but I think having Jackson is that just brings so much stability, even though he technically he has not, you know, played an actual meaningful down for Iowa yet. But just knowing what he's done at Virginia and what he brings, you know, from there to Iowa and, and what everyone's seen from him in practice and everything so far, like uh, it's just going to be a huge, huge boost for the defense overall and and linebacker in particular. What, what did you think of uh of him and Higgins and the linebackers on Saturday, Elliot. Oh, I thought they were solid. I think they were were pretty good in the in the run game. I mean, and even with that said, the the three headed monster, if we're gonna call him that this year, depending on play, obviously, of Caleb Johnson, LaShawn Williams, and Jazz Patterson. They were good, but I give the edge to the linebacking crew. I think Jay Higgins has that center of the defense anchored down and then you can trust Nick Jackson to fly around Kyler Fisher obviously I don't know if you have that confidence in him to be a fly around Leo when he's in there but I think what happened uh, I mean there was a couple snaps where I saw Nick Jackson at the mic and then they had uh, Fisher in there as well and then they had Castro in as well so it was effectively a Mike Will uh, cash but I, I thought they looked good I, I wouldn't say just because of pure circumstances, I wouldn't say that any of them looked like stars, but they look solid. And and I think that'll translate really well. And, you know, covering these games where it's, uh, it's essentially a scrimmage for a little while is really is, is honestly kind of hard because you don't know who to focus on. <laughs> like yeah. one player watching Jazz Patterson, everybody's like, whoa, Brian Allen, uh, the, you know, so 
it's it's it, it can be difficult, but I thought they were I thought they were solid, and I think they're they're going to stand out in week one. And don't don't discount Nick Jackson as a pass rusher. Don't don't take that off the table because that dude. I mean, you watch his highlights from Virginia, and he'll he'll be in the backfield if you need him to be, and and yeah. he can he can do whatever you need him to. Now, to transition a, a little bit here, and I got to get going in, in like five to ten minutes, so uh, we'll we'll wrap up here so quick. But um, two things for me, and we'll hit them we'll hit them quickly, like I mentioned. By the sounds of it, I think you were right there, Adam, when we were speaking with Coach Woods. Iowa has a plan for their backup kicker, but they don't want to tell us. Didn't didn't Kirk say something about a kicker from Iowa Western from the Ty Des Moines area? Yeah, he's their backup punter. He's not going to kick. They don't okay. they don't have him as a kicker. So what I take away from that, plus something I heard from a fellow media member that I'm not going to get into at the moment, but. What I imagine is happening because of the way that Coach Woods handled that is they're going, hey, any of you guys kick in high school? <laughs> and that's their backup plan. Might be. It might be. Um, I mean, yeah, for I, a program that's generally be. pretty secretive, I mean, I think it's fair to, to, to maybe make that leap and especially why Coach Woods really was tight-lipped on that. Well, he did say they have a plan. And yes, they always want to have a plan. Uh, and, and so I, I think that they're, you know, they, they, they might've known the Aaron Blom thing was coming one way or another. And, and I, I, I would hope that Blom himself, you know, if, if he was a good enough teammate, but that, you know, he didn't let this come straight out of left field when the charges were announced, I would hope so. But, you know, I'm not in those rooms or anything like that. Um, it, it, I think it will be interesting to see, this is a really unique and, and tough position to be put in though. Uh, to, to have your backup kicker just basically Thanos snapped out of eligibility, essentially. Uh, so, so we'll see how they handle that. Uh, I, when I talked to Coach Woods, I also talked to him about Tory Taylor, who I got to tell you guys, like looking at him, he looks about like eighty percent of the Tory Taylor that we saw before. And I don't mean like he's twenty percent worse. I mean he's twenty percent lighter. He mentioned on the Fight for Iowa, the official Iowa podcast, that he had dropped some weight. He's dropped a pretty substantial amount of weight. And and Taylor even mentioned that, like, it, some of that was coaching-based, Some you know, talking with the strength coaches, talking with Coach Woods, because, you know, some of that conversation was because he had asked them, like, hey, should I be, you know, slimming down a bit? And they said, look at the punters in the NFL and tell me how much how many of them look like you do right now. It's you know it's a paraphrase of course, but um, he has he's dropped a lot of weight. He said that his leg speed is a lot quicker. He's getting through the ball a lot quicker, and that's helping him uh, in a lot of ways. And so, Iowa fans, you know we we've been calling Tory Taylor semi jokingly the MVP of this team. I think we're going to see an even more effective and even more productive Tory Taylor than at any point in his Iowa career before. So if we want, you know, like we were, we were already saying punting is winning, but you know, maybe now we say punting is winning championships. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see. But uh, he is, uh, Tory is super excited for the season to start a whole lot of fun to talk to. Um, 
so I'm excited for that. Elliot, did you have some? Prior to the start of the scrimmage, they were running some punt formations. Kind of doesn't look good, by the way. But I think they did like eight to ten reps, snaps of of punters, you know, going and and Corey was just behind or either just behind the 50 or at the opposing 40 and he put all of them inside the 10. Yep. All of yep. them. And I don't know if it was all but one. I'm pretty sure it was all but one were inside the five. So he's <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. I'm telling you guys. He's, like, he's, good. he's he's ready for this. Last thing for me, and we'll wrap it up quick here, is when I spoke with Coach Bell, of which I'll have an article on here sooner rather than later, about the defensive line, he said one name to watch this year is Max Llewellyn and Ethan Herkett, for that matter. Yeah. More so, he, he more so emphasized Llewellyn, but I, I just kind of asked him about the depth, about guys to watch, and he said Max Llewellyn has, has taken a step forward and that he looks good. And so that's that's a name that I'll have my eyes on. I, I didn't watch the defensive line, at least uh, the the edges, super extensively on Saturday. But that's some that's that's something to to be aware of going into the season. And I think it just continue. I mean, we already hit on it. It just continues to speak to the depth of the defensive line, what they're going to be capable of this year, and if your second string sophomore behind Deontay Craig and Joe Evans is a guy to watch well that that might be telling of of how good how good they're going to be yeah and and he had a lot of good things to say about Ethan Herkett when I asked him too so uh they are and you know this is this is praise that they don't have to give too right because if if Herkett or Llewellyn was having a so-so practice we know coach Bell is going to tell us it's been so-so right there he yep. has he has no incentive to lie to us and, and they 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 don't right <laughs> Um, uh, well. so I, well, <laughs> if, if they do, they, they, they send it over my head, but right. it's, it, it's not in their character to lie about something like this. We'll, we'll, we'll put it that way. Uh, so yeah, I, I think we are going to see a very deep rotation, especially against a, an opponent like Utah state. I think we are going to see guys like Herc and Llewellyn on the field, uh, pretty often. And, and we'll see how those, uh, snap counts shake out. Yes, we shall. Adam, do you have anything else from Media Day that you wanted to hit, or did we get to all of it? Oh, my good! I mean, I could talk about the offensive line and, and all those battles for another half hour. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ethan, I, or, or Elliot, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> not going to monopolize your time too much on that, but I will say that talking to Dejan, uh, talking to Rusty, talking to Jennings Dunker, oh, oh, man, Jennings is a trip, by the way. Uh, I, For his sake, I, I hope that he sticks at first-team right tackle just because I want fans to like get to know him and interact with him on a more regular basis. Um, you know, whoever the starting five is, is the starting five. I, I'm, I'm not really picking favorites past that. Um, but I do think that we can pretty much pencil in uh, Richmond at uh, left tackle. Uh, we can pencil in Logan Jones at uh, center who multiple defensive players. I, I want to say three different defensive players. When I ask them who their toughest battles in practice thus far at Ben mentioned Logan Jones specifically and how hard he's been working. So for as rough as his 2022 was, and I think he'd be the first person to tell you that uh, there's, there's a lot of visual improvement with Jones, which is great to see Richmond. I don't think anyone's really a serious challenger in, well, you know, 
we'll, we'll see. Um, but based off of comments by coaches, I think that one's pretty well set. But the the um, battles at left guard, right guard, right tackle, I mean, we, we don't really know which positions a lot of these guys are going to be slotted in yet. And at Iowa, especially, you know, there's there's a lot of versatility sort of baked into it to begin with. So uh, I'm very curious to see how those battles shake out, who the top five is going to be, how they build that rapport with each other, because that's also a super important part of it, is being able to trust and, and communicate with the guy next to you and knowing exactly what he's going to do as he's doing it or before he does it. Uh, you know, that's, that's not a small thing. Um, so I'm curious to see how that shakes out. They did say that what's on the death chart, you know, that they released at the start of practice might not necessarily reflect the vision that they've got for that position. Uh, I would say I believe that. Uh, but I right now, I'm not even going to hazard a guess who those top five are. I think it will be a substantially better offensive line. And boy, in the Big Ten, especially the Big Ten West, you need that. You just need it. That you do. We got all the content that you could possibly ever need coming from Adam Ross and myself this coming week from Media Day as well as Kids Day on iowa.rivals.com. If you're not a premium subscriber yet, do that today, iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. That way you can interact with us here on the pod as well as our premium board to get all the inside information from us. Now, before you go, make sure that you subscribe wherever you're listening. Leave that rate and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can ask us a question on Apple Podcasts. I had to think of it for a second. On Apple Podcasts, if you leave that five-star review as well. So do that. We'll talk to you coming up later this week. Stay tuned for some more great content. And for now, we'll see you next time.